Hi, Grace. <laughs> Welcome to take two of this special edition podcast with Louise and I. Hello, Louise. Hi, Grace. How are you today? Pretty good. How about you? I'm, I'm fantastic. I'm excited to be here. Such an enthusiastic word choice. Yeah. You know me, I enthusiastic. Feel the emotion radiating off of you. Yay. <laughs> okay. So, we're here today to talk about Holocaust literature. What literature have you read? Or what, what specifically? What books? What Holocaust literature have I read? Yeah, that's what I meant. Um, I've read The Diary of a Young Girl, which I'm sure at some point I will end up calling The Diary of Anne Frank, um, because I always get the name mixed up. I've read Night by Ellie Wiesel. I just read a book, a young adult fiction book called The Librarian of Auschwitz. What other books have I read? I made a list. Number, Number of the, the Stars. stars. We, the I think we pajamas. all read that. It's like, I've read The Boy in the Sharp Pajamas. And then you have All the Light We Cannot See? Oh, yes. I did read All the Light We Cannot See. That was a good one. And Irina's Children, we read that. As yeah. I think my list is like basically the same as yours, but I have The Book Thief on there. Yeah, I have not gotten to read The Book Thief yet, yes. but it is on my list. Definitely should. Should it be? Um, it was okay. Not amazing, but I think it is a classic and a lot of people read it, so. Something being a classic reason enough for me to read it? No, probably not. <laughs> that is an interesting discussion to open. <laughs> not really enticed me to read the book thief like if you were trying to sell a novel you did a terrible job it was okay it was yeah okay so basically like that's a how girl, to describe german actually it is from the perspective of the angel of death which is interesting that does um, sound interesting what so, perspective i feel like that's that's always something i never consider like i just always assume it's like something you just like you just absorb but you don't like actually yeah. Analyze. Like, how many novels have I read where the narrator was delusional, but I didn't... I didn't know. I, I didn't know. Or, like, when we were talking about Brave New World in English the other day, and Miss Hudson brought up, like, the narrator sees John as a savage now. I just would not have picked up on that. Oh, definitely not. I never. Definitely not. <laughs> um, okay. So, with that... And you haven't read The Diary of a Young Girl. No, I haven't. It is on my bookshelf. It just have have you read it. any YA... Um, I feel like I have, fiction. but I cannot think of anything specifically. We both read Between Shades of Grey, but yeah, that but that, that was more, more Lithuanian, like the Russian yeah. aspect of it. Stalin, not, yes, not Hitler. Mm -hmm. Similar in some ways, different, different in others. Ways. Same not not really the topic of our no <laughs> different topic of discussion. Okay, so with that being said, should we talk? I guess we can talk about. The different types of literature, like, going off of what we have read. So, mm -hmm. I guess first we can start with The Diary of a Young Girl, because I feel like that one is very different than a lot of others. Like, it comes from a very unique Definitely. perspective. And maybe you can't speak on this as much, um, because you haven't read it. Yeah. But I'd love to exclude you from the conversation. Thank and just you. Just talk. Um, just me. It is monologue. becoming Grace's podcast. <laughs> Featuring Louise, who's at sometimes mute. <laughs> okay, you're sometimes mute too. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not just me. 
This is very argumentative. <laughs> it's not point fingers, okay? Okay. I have the talking stick now, so I will go. <laughs> so I actually I, let me interrupt you. <laughs> Just kidding. Is that professional? No. That's <laughs> what I thought. Okay. <laughs> I apologize. I do not accept your apology. How? I feel like going back to the conversation I was trying <laughs> to begin before you so rudely interrupted me. Actually, I think I was the one who went off topic, but um, I feel like the diary of a young girl is so beautiful because it was her personal thoughts Mm -hmm. and she wrote it not knowing that it was going to be published, which differs. Like, obviously, Night is Ellie Wiesel's personal experiences of the Holocaust, which is really meaningful, but it was, like, with hindsight, looking back on it. Recounted afterwards. Which makes it, to me, like, very different from Anne Frank's story. Because she was writing it while it was happening. So, I mean, for me, like, anything that I would write about my past would be very different about what I would write in the present. Like, you you have these experiences, and in the moment, they can feel, like, so intense. Or you focus on these little small details that, like, when you look back on in hindsight, you would say, like, that's not really what was important. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what's so beautiful about Anne Frank's story is that you really just get a very raw version. And I know that her dad cut out some parts of it, which that that actually really interests me. Like, what know, parts did he parts. cut out? Because there were there were very personal parts of the diary, so why did he include those as opposed to what he cut out? I don't know. We'll, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also curious, like, Anne Frank is just one person. Like, how many other diaries were there that just didn't exactly. get counted? Or that were never found. Yeah. Like, diaries, I mean, because whole families were destroyed, mm-hmm. and all the people's friends, so how many diaries are there? And why, like, what makes How many got destroyed. so significant? Yeah. I feel like something that makes it super significant is just her age. I agree. I think there's, like, a level of innocence that goes with that. And just, like, the, not being able to fully understand. The one quote about how she still believes humanity is... Have you seen this quote? I about have. how humanity is still good, like, despite everything. When she says that, like, I feel like that quote has really, like been popularized which might Mm -hmm. have like taken away some of its meaning but that I think is so powerful such like a raw moment in the book where you're like just wow like all of this terrible stuff is happening and she still has this like optimistic perspective and she's still able to find like joy in little things even in hiding and I think that's so beautiful that's another thing that I find really interesting is how all these authors um I think my mom and I actually discussed about Ellie Wiesel the other day because she used to teach it to her students and about how he like forgave people and then Miss Hudson brought up um is it Ilavagiza maybe Left to tell. I can't, I don't know her name. But she said, but she said, like, she, yeah, she said, I forgive you to the power of forgiveness is insane. I don't know if I would, I obviously can't speak to that. And that makes me wonder with these maybe like memoirs specifically, but in writing this, it's an outlet for all of that emotion. Mm -hmm. Is this a way, is this part of the journey? To forgiveness for these authors like is this a part of like coming to that place where they can like get to a point where they feel 
it's not weighing on them so much like it's mm -hmm. part of them coming to terms with what happened and like working to forgive but is that something that's necessary like how, how can you mm -hmm. forgive exactly and with forgiving comes forgetting I feel like that's a cycle that you see often but obviously it's not something that you want to forget because discussing history you I feel know like it's also a very individual thing is like mm -hmm. different people are more forgiving than others some people yeah. hold grudges like I you're definitely more forgiving than I am yes <laughs> that is so very true just just like another thing to think about like authors I mean individuals are just so different so when they bring themselves to writing you get such different outcomes mm-hmm anyways I, I think we can move on from I Anne agree. Frank to night which you just read I read it over this last summer I believe I read the whole trilogy you just read I just read the, the I memoir. do need to read the trilogy. I in my personal opinion I think that the memoir is just the most important one. The other ones, mm -hmm. I believe, are um, fictional stories. One is about Israel, I believe, too. Oh, that could be interesting, considering current events. Yeah. I feel like I didn't get that it. much out of it when I read it at mm -hmm. the time, because I wasn't really thinking about it, but definitely now it might be something interesting. I uh -huh. think it was like a resistance movement. Oh. Like the Jewish resistance oh, in yeah. Israel. But that could be false because I'm not very good at remembering books. <laughs> um, but, Night, what did you think when you were reading it? I thought, first of all, it was very depressing. But I did think it was a really interesting look into the Holocaust. And it was definitely good to have, like, a first-hand perspective, um, even if it was afterwards. And I feel like that's not something you get often. And I don't think there's, like, that many survivors left that have the power to, like, recall that and like process it and put it into words I think that takes a lot of strength and like mm -hmm. bravery but like writing as an outlet for emotion is, is really powerful yeah and about such, such harrowing topics exactly did I say that wrong I don't know <laughs> <laughs> my inability to pronounce words um <laughs> I think the part that I remember most vividly from night is when he first got to the concentration camp, which one was he at? Was he at Auschwitz? Yes. Um, and he described, like, seeing his mom and his sister. For the last time. Yeah, like, in and the line. Just, like, little did I know. Something that, that I, I talked about with my mom after I read it, because she took a Holocaust literature class in college, and she likes those sort of things, <laughs> those sort of conversations, <laughs> I guess. But how can you see that? and go on with your life. I know. How does one just process that and then move on? Like survival instincts like kicked in and he kept going, but how do you want to keep going? I wouldn't. And That's, then like watching his dad die too. Like it's such a testament to human strength mm -hmm. and just like perseverance to keep going despite all of those obstacles because I, I cannot imagine seeing everything horrible happening and not only to strangers but to the people that you love and losing everything mm -hmm. and still going and then writing books about it being so open to talking about it 
I think it's so interesting that, like, authors, they write these books, right? And, like, people come back from war and, like, they say, like, some people just won't talk about it. Like, they become very closed off. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. that is true for a lot of Holocaust survivors, but I think it's really something special that these certain people will take what happened to them and so openly write and speak about it and share it. And you're giving that to the world, too. That's such a personal experience to share with everyone. Which brings me back to Anne Frank. And if Anne Frank had survived, would she have published her diary? Yeah. And what would be different? What would she have chosen to leave out? Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to think about. So there's... Obviously, these are nonfiction, like, first-person accounts. So they're very different, to me at least. Well, mm-hmm. I think to everyone. Uh, from fiction. historical fiction, mm-hmm. whether that be adult or YA. Right. I, I feel like if you're seeking to learn and understand then I think that the nonfiction ones are... It's definitely the route to go. The route to go, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're bers- basically... They're basically... I mean, they are just, like, primary sources, which we talk yeah. about in history all the time, as being and, like, how we can... Like, like, truly interpret history... And back up the opinions that we form mm-hmm. on history. Um, but I feel like something that's forgotten when we read these fictional stories of the Holocaust is that they are fiction. fiction. And I think that the author's intent needs to be very clear and wanting to contribute to the stories out there and not take away and it shouldn't be something that they're doing for their own benefit but if they truly have a story they feel compelled to share and think that it would help the world but if it's something they're writing because they think it's going to attract a large audience that it's going to bring a lot of money that it's going to help them in their career I feel like that's where for me the question like what gives an author authority to write a book about the holocaust like I would say Anne Frank, Ellie Wiesel, they definitely have the authority to write about it because they experienced it. But when someone doesn't experience it, why do they get to write about it? Especially Mm -hmm. in a historical or in a fictional perspective. Yeah. What are your thoughts? My thoughts. Um, It's going to take me a second to process thoughts now. Um... I ran out of things to say, so I <laughs> just to gotta ask you. dump on me. Um, I know I think it is really interesting to like look at consumerism and how it plays into history, and how like we've kind of I we talked about oversaturating the boy in the striped pajamas, but I think history in general is a lot of times oversaturated unless you're looking anywhere in textbooks um, or memoirs. And I think, personally, I would not want to look into textbooks. I just don't find that interesting. And I think it's easy to just go towards fiction. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably Stories the genre. Stories that have been, like, glossed over mm-hmm. and, and made to be it, intriguing. Definitely. And it makes it easy to kind of disconnect from the character and not really view it as a real topic. Mm-hmm. So you're not really, like, experiencing it 
to its fullness. And I think that's like super interesting to examine, especially when we're talking about like the authority that an author has. Like if you're just gonna gloss over something and make it more intriguing, I don't think you should be selling that or writing that. It makes me wonder though, especially with YA, Holocaust literature, fiction, how it kind of serves as an entry point for a lot of people Mm -hmm. into Holocaust literature. And it's, I think maybe, especially as a kid, like if it's something you don't know about and you're not really familiar with, that you might pick up a fictional book because you think that it looks interesting. And maybe that will spark a desire to further investigate and really have come from a place of understanding when you're reading Holocaust literature, but like inversely, obviously it can go the complete opposite way and people can become entranced with the stories and like enjoy reading about the horrors that happen to other people. And Mm -hmm. I feel like that's something that our culture really promotes. Like we see all these war movies, we like all these things that are about horrible, horrible events that have happened to other people, the way that we enjoy, like, viewing or reading about other people's misfortunes and how people profit Mm -hmm. off that. I love that you brought up that point because that's, like, exactly the direction that my brain was going in. I get so conflicted over, like, should I be reading these like is fiction acceptable in these terms because like I think it is an easy way to enter into the conversation I think it's actually how I probably entered I know number the stars is like based on true events but Mm -hmm. it is still fiction and that was without a doubt the first holocaust book I read and then I think the boy in the striped pajamas was after that and I mean now I'm reading more like factual accounts and like more realistic books but like, is it good to have an entry point and to, like, kind of underplay it a little bit to introduce it to young readers? Or is that harmful to people that actually went through it? I don't know. It's very interesting. Number of the Stars was also the first Holocaust literature that I'd ever read. And I remember really liking the book, but I can't remember any specific, like, activities or conversations that we had around the book. Which, mm. honestly, to me, is a little bit concerning because I'm like, oh, were there were there conversations? There had to have been, but why do I not remember them? Like, you would think if it was significant enough. It's such a significant topic, so why do I not under... Why do I not remember those first conversations that I had surrounding them? Mm -hmm. Like, looking back and being very introspective, I'm like, that's concerning from, like, an educator standpoint. Like, Mm -hmm. what, what were they doing? I know, and I just read it at home. Like, I found my mom's copy and read it. I think it was a summer reading book for me. Really? Which I feel like is a weird choice. Yeah, I feel like that's definitely something you should read and discuss throughout the school year. (laughs) Not over the summer. You know, when when every kid already doesn't want to read the summer reading book, how about make it a Holocaust Holocaust literature book? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that That that's such a smart choice. I don't know. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm trying to think and I'm really curious as to like how I understood it because I feel like a lot of people have pointed out like you know they've had conversations and they've like kind of started to understand it a little bit but did I just like pick up on it because I don't remember having these conversations I don't remember ever learning specifically about the Holocaust like when did I learn about it I mean we talk about like the Holocaust being part of our collective consciousness Mm -hmm. but like when did it 
come into mine. Yeah, exactly. Like, like it's, it's not like it's I just so knew. ingrained in me that I don't even know when I first encountered it. Exactly. Which I think is just something crazy to think about. Definitely. Something so significant. And I, I think within, like, historical fiction, we can even, like, delineate between different types. Like, we see Number of the Stars... Lois Lowry, obviously, she was not Jewish, but she said she wrote the book after having, like, these very intense, in-depth conversations with a Jewish friend about her experiences. Mm -hmm. So, for me, that gives her, that that answers the question, like, what gives an author authority to write about the Holocaust? Like, you're doing your research and putting in the effort and and having conversations. And in that way, it wasn't, like, obviously, it was fictional, so it wasn't, like, a direct account of it but mm-hmm. it still was like based loosely and it was on realistic real and it wasn't oversaturated exactly. yeah and I was gonna say like I, the same thing for you haven't read the librarian of Auschwitz but I just read it and I really I enjoyed the book a lot and I was actually looking a lot at who the author was as I was reading it because I was very curious um one because I liked the writing style and two just why he wrote it and that book is based off a true story and he reached out to the woman who is the protagonist who it's her story that he wrote about Mm -hmm. he reached out to her and they met and they talked so and he just came from a place of genuine interest and wanting to share her story and because she was okay with it and obviously I'm sure she's read the novel and Mm -hmm. if there were parts that she didn't agree with I feel like she would have said like I'm not comfortable with this take this out Mm -hmm. so in that way I think that that author had authority to write about it that brings me to the boy in the striped pajamas which I feel like it has gotten a lot of criticism, so it's good that it's being talked about, but mm-hmm. what is your thinking on it as far as the boy in the stri- striped pajamas? Obviously, the author, I don't know his name, recognized that it is very fictional. I mean, this story is not based on... I mean, it's set in the time period of the Holocaust. Obviously, it's about the Holocaust, but it's not based on any one story, and he's not... Jewish either Mm -hmm. so why did he write about it and why has it become an almost classic of the sorts in holocaust literature like I read it you've read it there's a movie Mm -hmm. I'm I feel like so many people have read it yeah why I don't I feel like for me it's really difficult to differentiate like when there's all these kind of stories within stories I think like the boy in the striped pajamas is like a more personal story of like the two boys obviously mm-hmm. and not as much about the event as a whole and it's really difficult for me to differentiate like when you have these stories within stories what's real and what's not like when you talked about the librarian of Auschwitz I think first like at first notice I would have thought that it was fictional and not real um and like the boy in the striped pajamas is obviously not real and not is is fictional so I don't know how to, like, wrap up the thoughts that I'm having, but... Something that does intrigue me about The Boy in the Striped Pajamas is, like, the idea of the children's innocence, and it particularly Mm -hmm. the German boy. Just, like, is that accurate? Like, is that representative of 
German children? Mm-hmm. Like, were they really that ignorant and naive? Like, how how does that work in these horrid situations? Because obviously, the Jewish children were not naive. They knew what was happening because it was happening to them. And that's something that I think is so interesting. Like, in the conversation of what is too young to introduce the Holocaust to children Mm -hmm. is that these German, or not German, these Jewish children, they, they were able to comprehend what was happening. And they were not by choice they were forced to mm-hmm. but I think that the boy in the striped pajama kind of plays on those ideas of children's innocence and being naive and I think that that is interesting but I'm not a huge fan of like fictionalizing the story so much and I think it's fine if readers go into that knowing that it's so fictionalized but I don't mm-hmm. think they do no Honestly, like, for me, I feel like it would be meaningful if the author went back and, what is it called? Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do know what you're talking about. I'm trying to to find the words. Is it like a preface? Yeah, I think a preface sounds right. Something like that. If he added, like, a preface, preface to the book that said, this is a very fictional account it is not based on a true story mm-hmm. it is just you could say something about it being about like human emotions and human connections mm-hmm. even in like horrible circumstances because yeah. I think that the story is really beautiful in some ways but also because I don't feel like it was his place to tell it especially yeah. when it wasn't based on any specific person but I feel like it was kind of him, like, looking through, like, a window at the situation and saying, like, what do I think is going on here? Mm -hmm. But I don't think that was his place to say, like, what is going on here and I'm going to write about what I think is going on because he didn't really know. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to look at how Bruno, or the German boy, is portrayed, like, is so innocent. Um, And I think that would not be accurate at all. I feel like parents and communities in general have such a large impact. I mean, if you look Mm -hmm. at Sacred Heart, it's like a widely conservative area (laughs) or like, you know. It's like as a child, you're exposed to all these beliefs and you're told these things. And this boy would have been told that like Jews were inferior, that he shouldn't interact with them and as a child you absorb these things and they just become an inherent part of you which you act on and if you're living that close you obviously know that something is up like you can't Mm -hmm. be totally ignorant even if you are a child so I feel like he just kind of disregarded reality yeah like he had to have known like this is not really how it would work Mm -hmm. in real life yeah especially with the dad being in such a high position like the operator of the camp and how did he just like sneak away yeah completely unnoticed they had to have had soldiers like there's no way you would think that if you're living right by a concentration camp you might watch your kid a little closer definitely like 
Mm-hmm. Also, like, is that realistic? Would they really live that close to a concentration camp? Or, like, no the whole idea. family? I just feel like the whole, like, the story, a lot of discrepancies, and definitely. we don't talk about them enough for how widely it is read. Mm-hmm. Like, there definitely needs to be some deeper conversations when we're yeah. reading the book. Like, I didn't read it at SMA. Um, I read it on my own, I think just like a year or two ago, but I know the model school read it as a class, and I, that makes me wonder what their conversations mm-hmm. about the book were like. Yeah. It would definitely be an interesting one for our class discussion. I agree. And I think it's interesting how quickly we fall back onto that book specifically. Like, when we talked about Holocaust literature and history, I think that was definitely brought up multiple times, and nobody had really talked about how it was oversaturated and unrealistic like it's just widely accepted that that's the one I think if you don't think about it mm-hmm. then it just seems like it could actually work yeah it, and it's all about like you I think this is very important in holocaust literature is when you read it saying like why am I reading this like definitely it like the author has a duty to make the book based on real stories Mm -hmm. and I think the book publishers they have a duty to make sure what's being told is also like historically accurate but so does the reader the reader also has has their own duty Mm -hmm. you can't rely on the publishers because that just creates such an unstable environment mm -hmm. I think it's like a collective effort to make sure that we are handling these stories that we're given in a proper mm-hmm. manner. And we can't have it fall on any one person. Exactly. We all have to do our duty. Definitely. So, I think it's very important not to shape our opinion based on historical fiction, but that doesn't mean that we can't read historical fiction and still be interested in these stories because I think it still is very helpful in learning mm-hmm. and understanding and because we talked about writing as an outlet of emotion and really there is no way to tr- you can't ever understand what it's like to live in someone else's shoes but mm-hmm. I feel like the best way to get another person's perspective is like reading a book through their eyes mm-hmm. and I think that that's really powerful even if it is um, a fictional narrative of the story just to be able to see and experience and feel what the character, what the protagonist is feeling, I think that just adds a level of depth in trying to understand the con- the event at large. Yeah. So, moral of the story, be a conscious reader. <laughs> Relies on the author, on the publishers, and on the reader. Exactly. After coming to the conclusion that it is the responsibility of the author the publisher, and ultimately the reader to appropriately handle the Holocaust literature that is published and ensure that it is historically accurate and not influencing our opinions too heavily, we went to interview Honors English teacher Mrs. Hudson. As someone who is well-read and socially aware, we believed Mrs. Hudson would have an interesting take on the subject. We'll just ask you first, what Holocaust literature have you read? Um, so I read a lot when I was younger. I think everybody goes through that phase or readers do when they first are introduced to Holocaust literature and they're, you know, obsessed with it. 
um, because it's so new and, and something that they've never seen before. So I remember reading as a child Number of the Stars. Um, I remember reading, um, what was it, like Slata's Diary. I remember reading The Book Thief. Um, so I, re I remember reading quite a bit of literature when I was younger. And then when I got older, and was introduced to Ellie Wiesel as a memoirist, uh, Kristen Hanna and her book, uh, The Nightingale, um, Tatiana DeRosne's Sarah's Key, um, and all of those because of their different perspectives, because of the not only the author's perspectives, but as the characters as well, it feels like you're constantly getting another layer mm -hmm. of information. It feels like you're constantly getting another perspective and you're just always learning more you're always being, being put into a place of seeing this new side of it and then as a reader because you develop as well right and so that's the great part about reading is like you never read the same book twice even if you're reading the same text mm -hmm. so i remember reading um sarah's key before i had children and then reading sarah's key after i had children and those are two very different experiences because when you're a mother every child becomes your child so it's impossible to read these novels now in the position that I'm in and not think about what lengths would I be willing to go to uh, to save my child what lengths would I be willing to go to uh, to protect them and so that's a, a very different perspective as well Something really interesting I think that you mentioned was how it was like almost a phase when you were young yeah. to read Holocaust literature. And that's something that I find very interesting mm -hmm. as in like, is that like because of interest? Like are we reading it because it's interesting and it's fun to read? Or is it to like learn truly about the Holocaust and with yeah. a place of like genuine, like wanting to understand and like learn from that and do better in the future? So yeah. I think that's like, kind of like the crux of this question is like why are we reading the literature and yeah. why are the writers writing it because I think in some ways like that's very good that young people are exposed to yeah. those ideas but in some ways it can be like harmful because if you're used to reading like fiction yeah and really living in these like figurative worlds yeah. where you're like this is super interesting I'm super into this story but when it's something based on a real event that was so horrific if you still kind of go into it with that mindset I yeah. feel like that can be super harmful for young readers I I think that's such a an important point to bring up I mean I, I think there's there's the fear that one would become desensitized to it right mm -hmm. and of course when you're dealing with historical fiction that's where you have the danger of people beginning to interpret these events as, in fact, fiction. And mm -hmm. you, you begin that horrible cycle of denying that these events actually occurred. I think that, that most young readers, and I want to put the emphasis on readers there, because I do think that there is, are a special group of kids that just fall in love with books and fall in mm -hmm. love with reading, and that's how especially for me that was how I figured out how to kind of deal with the world was I would watch these characters and see how did they handle situations and how could I apply that to my own life mm -hmm. I think that there there comes this time especially when people begin to when children begin to recognize what the Holocaust was and they begin to learn about it where there's almost this just complete and utter disbelief this could not have happened there's no way 
that this happened. They, 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 and, and it's, uh, I has, uh, the only phrase I can come up with is that it's morbid curiosity. <laughs> that there's this uh, fascination with how could this happen? It's almost this un trying to understand it. Mm -hmm. How did the world allow this to happen? How did neighborhoods and communities allow people to be taken from them and stripped of their possessions and herded up and moved into these areas? And how did we allow that to happen? The, the key there is to take the next step. I think this is where educators have a real responsibility. When teaching Holocaust literature, it's not enough to present the facts. You have to take that one step further and say, and here's how you prevent it, and here's how you speak up, and here's how you use your own voice. Um, I remember reading Number of the Stars in fourth grade, and so this would have been about 1991, something like this beginning to learn about, about the Holocaust, et cetera. About five years later, when I entered um, my freshman year here at Sacred Heart, uh, news began circulating the world uh, that a Holocaust had just happened in the country of Rwanda mm -hmm. from 1993 to 1994. Mm -hmm. um, you know, at, at that time period, the world learned about the Rwandan genocide. And I remember having those thoughts and thinking back to the literature that I had read. Uh, Schindler's List had come out the year previously. And I remember thinking, this happened again. How did we allow this to happen again? I think there's also now been a huge resurgence in Rwandan genocide literature. Uh, the Red Bandana, um, Left to Tell. There are a lot of pieces coming out um, a long way home. There's a lot of people pieces coming out of that literature as well, because people don't understand these cycles. How do we allow this to happen again? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's even now with what's happening in with China. China. Yes. Yeah. Oh, with the Rohingya Muslims in Myanmar. Mm -hmm. We could look at Syria. Um, you know, we we could even go so far as President Biden has recently declared the Armenian genocide from mm -hmm. the 1930s and. And that's fairly controversial that he, you know, proclaimed that an actual genocide. And I think that we read this Holocaust literature not only to help us understand, because I don't think we do. Like, I don't understand how it happens. I can't imagine my own neighbors being taken and not standing up and saying something. So I think we, we read this type of literature to help us understand, to help us process. But I think that Holocaust literature and writers of Holocaust literature also have an enormous weighted responsibility to continue the story, to make mm -hmm. sure that it's still something that's in discussion, to make sure that it's still part of our cultural conscience. Mm -hmm. I think it's a very like interesting distinction between just like the types of Holocaust literature there are mm -hmm. out there. Like we see like the boy in the striped pajama being yep a classic almost and that's the author has admitted like it's a very fictional work he fictionalized the story to make it appeal more to human emotions mm -hmm. but how do you think that differs in like author's purpose with something like uh night or the diary of anne frank even yeah. even those are very different in their purpose as anne frank was writing it at the time, like not knowing that others would one day be reading this, and yeah. so many people be reading this, yeah. and then 
night was written after the event looking back on it so that gave a different perspective and then the boy in the striped pajama is just kind of on a totally different side of yeah. being fictional completely. yeah i mean i think i think when you begin to look at holocaust memoirs and the two that you've mentioned both night and and dire of an Anne frank you know when you're a memoirist what you're recalling is your own personal experience you recall those events as you remember them and so typically an author purpose there is for you to process that event for you to share that experience a memoirist often get criticized and ellie wazell was criticized when night um you know was published and found fame in the 60s and 70s he found he received criticism because people said that his memory wasn't accurate and one of the things I always love about Ellie Wiesel is that he, he said, well, of course it's not accurate. I didn't know all of the historical events that were happening mm -hmm. around. I only knew my experience in the camp. I only knew of that world that I was a part of at that time, uh, which is a very honest and accurate statement. So for Holocaust survivors, who are willing to share their memories. I think we as, as a public have that responsibility as well to honor their story as they remember it and as they mm -hmm. experienced it. In terms of fictional writing, however, do those authors or should they have more of a responsibility to uh, portray facts accurately? Yes, I think they, they probably do. And I think the publishing houses now recognize the importance of, uh, of doing their due diligence to fact check, to work with researchers, to make sure that they are as accurate as possible. I think one of the things that's interesting that's now beginning to come out in Holocaust literature being written within the last 20 years are different facets of the Holocaust uh, that wasn't present in Holocaust literature that came from the 60s and 70s. So I'll give you an example. One of the more famous novels that came out in the late 60s it was a novel called Sophie's Choice. Uh, and in the novel, which was a later adapted into film, the mother uh, has to make the decision uh, whether to save her son or her daughter. Literally has to decide between assigning a child to live and assigning a child to die. And of course, that's just the one moment in the novel. The rest of the novel is how she lives with that decision for years afterwards. Um, one of the things that we're now beginning to look at uh, is not just the horrendous murder and death toll, the violence, the torture that was inflicted. We're beginning to look at the sexual assault of women, uh, how really the Gestapo and the SS used systematic rape against women as a weapon of war in the camps and in the ghettos. We're beginning to look at the different ethnicities, um, that it wasn't just the Jewish population that was, uh, that was massacred during this genocide. Um, you know, we had uh, Romanian gypsies uh, who were almost completely wiped out as an ethnic group. Um, men who were accused of homosexuality were often rounded up. Um, you know, Catholic priests to a certain extent were also <laughs> at times uh, killed as well. And so I think we're beginning to see the more we learn and the more we are willing to talk about certain things, so, um, you know, the idea of homosexuals dying, the idea of, of that systemic rape, the more we become more comfortable talking about those aspects of the Holocaust, then it begins to take on this new, um, new horror 
right? Mm -hmm. Like, so because we begin to see, okay, not only was it horrible, now there are other layers of, of horrific behavior. Yeah. And I think, I'm sure you talked about this in history yesterday, but it kind of connects to what we're talking about in history is how the Holocaust is still happening. And as we get yeah. these new stories, we're exposed to these new information, the new information and the new perspectives of these people that we didn't have before and how it just like helps further our understanding, but we'll never get to the point of like truly understanding what happened and it's kind of like what do we do with this new information what do we do with the information we had and how can we use it yeah. to like better ourselves in the present and how do i live now knowing that there are other genocides happening in the world when we read holocaust literature we're of course like we want to see ourselves as the heroes in the story right. thinking like we would have never let this happen or I would have been aware of what was happening and done my best to fight back against it. But I think now we're here in this day and age and we're, we see these things happening and maybe there's not something that we can directly do. But I feel like by taking part in these stories yeah. and learning and understanding and having conversations like this, yeah. we can learn and grow and yeah. do our best as individuals yeah. to combat. And you know, and that's, that's the thing. History, for some reason, continues to repeat itself in this way. And it comes down to the need for power. Mm -hmm. It comes down to one group deciding uh, that to preserve their power, they must eliminate another. And I think then we have to begin to look at the systems that are put in place that make people believe that, whether that be economic, whether that be religious, whether that be government, what systems are in place that, um, that lead to this behavior? That's where the work needs to be done now because now we've, we've got all of this information. Now we've got the awareness. Now we've got you know, the studies that have come out and the historians that are presenting us with the facts. We've got all the info, we've got the tools. Mm -hmm. And now we have to tackle the systems that allow this to continue to occur. That's where the work has to be done. As we wrapped up our discussion with Mrs. Hudson, she brought up the very important point that there is still so much we have left to do. Now, to get a historical perspective on the events of the Holocaust and Holocaust literature, Louise and I interviewed history teacher Mr. Jones. So, basically for our project, we are interested on like Holocaust literature and how we discuss it and basically what gives the author an authority to write about such an event, especially um, if they haven't experienced it or haven't undergone anything similar. What have I read? I mean, I've read several textbooks because mm -hmm. I used to teach a class. So mm -hmm. I've like, read textbooks to find like what I should teach. Fiction, I honestly probably haven't read that much. I've read like a couple of the classics, like the Boy in Striped Pajamas. Mm -hmm. I read, um, I'm also not good at remembering titles. <laughs> I'm not either. I've read like a, a couple YA, maybe like two or three YA books mm -hmm. rather. Mm -hmm. Um, I've read Night, I've read, um, I'm sure I've read more than that, because so many things, like, touch on it, in the mm -hmm. yeah. so, like, maybe part of my answer is, I can't remember because 
maybe something I come across in literature so often. Mm-hmm. But it's quite ubiquitous. Like it just shows up everywhere. Um, Definitely. And then I've read most of the Holocaust website, the United States Holocaust Museum website, and it's chock full of essays. So I can't say that that website is like endless because they have like archives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There. The stuff that like they publish as part of their educational agenda, I've like read that. So I've read a lot of that. Um, and since I don't teach a class anymore, I haven't kept up with scholarship. But mm-hmm. there are, I mean, it's a huge field, just mm-hmm. Holocaust scholarship. How does it make you feel like that it is such a huge field? Yeah. This is an interesting thing. I was thinking about that today, and I was reading another bystander essay that I was thinking about using in class. Um, and two things. It was a piece of scholarship. It was from like the Utah Law Review, and it was about the concept of bystander as it holds up in court. Like, how, how can we use it as a legal term? And in that essay, they were talking about, I think it was... Hume or Kierkegaard, some famous philosopher said that if everyone is guilty, then the concept of guilt ceases to exist. And what he was seemingly talking about, what this article is talking about, is like if we say like, well, everyone's a bystander, like all the time, mm-hmm. then it's like too overwhelming, and like we don't know what to do with that fact. Mm-hmm. I feel that way often about Holocaust literature. It is like so much and so overwhelming that you have to work really, really, really hard to be like up to date with it all. Mm-hmm. to go from there. Well, what was the thought behind that question? Like, where did that question come from? Um, well, just thinking like. I feel like there's such a large base of Holocaust books, um, and we talked about in class the other day about like desensitizing, mm-hmm. and I think that like there being such a large, fan, not fan base, but large, <laughs> yeah. large base um, surrounding that has just made it not as large of an event. Um, and I think it's really interesting to look into children's or not children's but YA books and how we've like fictionalized it. Um, we were reading about the boy in the striped pajamas, mm-hmm. and the author said he is basically oversaturated. Um, and it like kind of gives the savior complex to the Germans. Um, so I don't know where I was going in that question, but more of just like why is it's it? It's potentially so problematic that we care about it as much as we do, or, yeah. or like our our outlet for exploring mm-hmm. limits impact. Yeah, like that. that's where I was going. Yeah. I feel like writing can be such a beautiful outlet, especially for people who experience the Holocaust. But I feel sometimes like as I'm reading it, like I can feel what the characters are feeling, but sometimes I disconnect from like the event at large. Like it becomes so about like the character and character driven that I forget that it's like a real event. And I feel like for me, like thinking about that, like I know it's not good. And I feel like other people probably experience it as well. But I feel like that could be like another kind of issue, like just with how saturated like Holocaust literature has become is like, is it really about the story or is it just like 
did the author write this to like attract readers? Like how important actually is what's being told? It makes me think of the question of, like, is it something we should make money off of? Definitely. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes me wonder, like, did Steven Spielberg make money off of Schindler's List? And if so, how much? Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Probably a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but then it's also, like, I know many Jewish friends that say, like, the Holocaust wasn't real for them until they saw that movie. So then it's like, oh. Maybe Maybe that's okay. it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's a great question. I wonder how. I wonder what other authors have said similar to the guy that wrote Straight Pajamas. Like if they've said mm -hmm. this has gotten out of control. Mm -hmm. It also raises an interesting question to think about, like how societies find consensus. But right, like the literature world doesn't have a czar. Mm -hmm. We don't have one person running everything. So how do we decide what's good and bad? So it makes me think of that too, of like how we try and sanction and say like, how does the literature world decide what's good and what's bad? Yeah. That article that I sent you, it was talking about how there are like seven different books that like came out recently that all end in the title like of Auschwitz and how like, yeah people just like attach of Auschwitz to like words and write books about them and how like that in, of a, in and of itself is kind of harmful. Have you ever come across pinkwashing? I first came across in, in sports podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, uh, pinkwashing is, uh, there are groups that are very critical of how popular breast cancer awareness is. And they particularly are critical of the NFL because the NFL has a whole breast cancer month. And all the players wear like pink, like wristbands and shoes and stuff. And critics say that it kind of like, it like, it's too much. It like makes it seem like a simple issue on the first place. And it makes it something that the NFL makes money off of because they know like oh everyone supports breast cancer awareness so mm -hmm. it's like a way to like make sure your critics can't be critical of you is to say like oh I love I'm, like breast cancer awareness it's like my thing now anyone that doesn't like you looks like an evil person right <laughs> if, if you're like pro so like uh, when like a yogurt company comes out with like a special breast cancer yogurt what does yogurt need to be okay. tied <laughs> with breast cancer? It's like, oh, it's because it's good for business. Yeah. yeah. So, like, making money off of it. So, like, Holocaust washing. I feel like with Holocaust literature, along with most other things, I feel like the authors really need to ask, like, is this in my self-interest? Like, am I writing this for me? Or am I writing this to actually contribute something? The Holocaust is not to be taken lightly, and neither is the literature written about the Holocaust, regardless of whether it is fictitious or grounded in truth. Holocaust literature is not about writing the most interesting, most popular, or best-selling novel. It is not a field that should be monetized or oversaturated to the point where it is devoid of meaning. 
Instead, it is important for each story to be historically accurate. Those authoring works focused on the Holocaust need to be well-intentioned, as Holocaust literature should never be written for the benefit of the author, but always for the benefit of society at large. However, authors alone do not bear the weight of responsibility of Holocaust literature. Readers must also be willing to reflect, question, and further investigate the works they read. Our understanding of the Holocaust, and thus our understanding of the world, relies heavily on the literature we read about it. When done improperly, Holocaust literature can mislead and deceive readers into believing an alternate reality of the Holocaust, establishing a breeding ground for ignorance, bigotry, and hatred. However, this is seldom the case, especially as we become more and more aware of the ways in which we discuss and write about the Holocaust. When done improperly and intentionally, Holocaust literature is immensely rewarding. It has the power to create a beautiful space where we, as readers, can come to greater understand what happened. While we will never know the full extent of the pain, suffering, horror, and carnage of the Holocaust, the literature we read about it can help bring us one step closer. These stories allow us to see the victims of the Holocaust as humans. Humans with loved ones, humans with aspirations, humans like us, rather than just another harrowing statistic. Holocaust literature is not just about the past, but also the present and the future. Who are we in relation to these stories? What is our responsibility while reading and when we finish reading? And ultimately, how can we translate what we read into the way we act and think about the world and the people living in it? Thank you for listening.